Hello and welcome to the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Which is this campaign for the Master of Advertising Effectiveness, a six-week online program in partnership with Walk that'll give you a next-level understanding of the evidence-based principles of advertising effectiveness. The very same principles we've used to create this. The most effective advertising campaign in the world. Over the coming years, you'll experience a campaign that's perfectly budgeted and targeted over both the short and long terms and replete with emotion, distinctive assets, and most importantly, creativity. It will at some point result in you visiting our website, mae.academy, signing up, becoming a master of advertising effectiveness, and also becoming a piece of hard evidence that this is in fact the most effective advertising campaign in the world. and welcome to The Walk Podcast. My name is Anna Hamill and I'm Senior Editor for Brands at Walk. Today's episode is part of a new collection, interviewing marketing leaders at some of the world's most influential companies. In today's episode, Susan Jones, who is Chief Digital Officer at Diageo, is joining us. Diageo owns iconic brands including Guinness, Johnny Walker, Baileys and Smirnoff, among others. In this interview, we talk about emerging media trends, how pandemic-era pivots are driving growth, and how data is upgrading brand experiences. Enjoy the conversation and stay tuned for more interviews in coming weeks. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'd love to start with just a quick introduction about yourself and if you could describe some of the brands and the teams and initiatives that you're working on at Diageo. Sure. Uh, I'm Susan Jones, and I lead the digital transformation at Diageo. Um, some of the teams that I work on, I mean, digital is a big word. So, uh, we have quite a few practices. For example, uh, we have a media practice, content, uh, data, marketing effectiveness, uh, and then it includes things like digital commerce. Wow. That's a really wide brief. It is. Sounds like a very busy job. Well, we're really excited to have you here and jump into some of those topics in a little bit more depth. I want to start with a little bit about your success story uh, at Diageo over the last couple of years, because I was reading that Diageo is now 36% bigger than it was pre-COVID, which is really extraordinary when you consider the on-trade challenges for your brands during that time. What were some of the successful pivots you made that contributed to that growth? Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're very lucky. I think, first of all, the brands that we have in our portfolio are so strong that they've stood the test of time. Up, up times, down times, um, it, it all does kind of come back to the strength of the brands. But I will say, having sort of worked through the, the pandemic, um, what was really amazing to see was Diageo not sort of back away from the challenge, but lean into it. And all through the pandemic, we kept up our investment in our brands. We kept the plans. But at the same time, there was a level of agility that was really amazing to see real time um, in brands responding to what was going on. And that was everything from pivoting some of the content, because our content is, you know, by nature, uh, depicts social situations, um, pivoting to things that spoke more to the times, or even to doing uh, some work to support our on-premise partners. The, the speed, when I, when I think back, it seems like yesterday and forever ago, right. um, the speed with, with which we pivoted and the confidence, I think, that we walked through what was a pretty unsettling time was really amazing to be a part of. That speaks a lot to the culture of the company and your ability to pivot 
and make changes as necessary. Are there any specific examples you can give of how your brands pivoted in that moment that set you up for success down the line? Yeah, um, I think the the way that we started to do it was really to listen to consumers. So that came up in different ways that uh, were, was meaningful to different brands. So as an example, um, we saw at-home baking taking off, and Bailey's is sort of the perfect match for that. So the Bailey's content at the time pivoted to be much more about how we'd use Bailey's as an ingredient and to really, you know, plus up that at-home baking. But at the same time, we saw and continue to see um, a real interest in at-home cocktail making and lots of brands talking about great solutions for people, easy drinks or how to make a basic drink a little bit more special. Um, I think all of those kind of came together and made us realize that we, we play a really important role in making consumers more confident as they're, uh, you know, coming up with celebration for themselves and, and inspiring in those situations. You've been in media at Diageo for almost your whole career. I'm interested to hear what of some of the biggest changes that you've had to react to over the years. You know, I'm thinking new channels, tech transformation, the pace of change, consumption. I mean, really the whole the whole customer journey has evolved what are some of the biggest ones that you think have have transformed your business um i think back to when i started and i actually started on the media agency side um and and to me the biggest change from when i started was i can remember being an assistant media planner at mediacom um and having clients ask me really fundamental questions things that sound like they're easy questions about media like how much should we be running and what reach should I be going for? And at the time, it really hard to come up with answers other than things that were, you know, just sort of standard things that people assumed were the right thing. Average four week, you know. Yeah, numbers. it was it was difficult to think outside the box back exactly. then. Exactly. And I mean, there was sort of common practice, but very few answers. I think as tech and data uh, and analytics have come together over the past, I'd say, 15 to t- 10 to 15 years, I think that's the biggest change is we really have so much more at our hands to understand what consumers are looking for and then the impact of what we're doing on consumers for our business. Um, that to me is the biggest change is it, it actually feels great. It's, it's, don't get me wrong, it's complicated, but it feels so good to be, start to answer those questions about what does marketing mean? Um, what is it driving? What's its role in the business? How do you identify which media opportunities are going to be longer term opportunities versus what might ultimately be a fad? Because there's a lot of channels coming in. There's equally as many channels going out, yes. it seems. Yes. How are you making those decisions yeah. internally? I mean, look, one of my first days at, at Diageo, uh, we had to do a point of view on MySpace versus Facebook. So... <laughs> Wow, yeah. that is a throwback. We have we have lived through the times. Yeah. Um, I would say, look, I think there's a real common sense lens to this, which is as platforms come on, as, you know, every day people bring us really amazing things that they can do, especially with digital. There's a bit of common sense to apply it to go like, is that something that you as a person would want to do and interact with? And that's probably the first litmus test that if it doesn't pass that, it could be interesting. It can, it's awesome that you can do it, but if you don't want to engage with it ongoing, probably not going to live. Um, and then after that, honestly, we, we sort of fall back on a bit of experimentation, which is we will, we will try to work with platforms 
We will try to see what they mean and what our brands, how our brands could live on them. And what we've done in the background is set up a pretty extensive ability to test things in real time so that we can test it out and see what happens, see what consumers' reactions are, and go from there. Um, because I, I don't think there's a crystal ball. I don't, anybody who tells you this is the thing that's going to be it, yeah, you might as well flip a coin, there's I guess. There's been a lot of crystal balls over the years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything right now that you're prioritizing strategically from a tech or a media standpoint at Diageo? Yeah, I think um, what we're really trying to do is uh, solidify our our data practice. Um, and look, the, the past couple of years, I think the industry has talked a lot about data and we've gotten our arms around what data means for us. So for us, it is, yes, consumer data, but also we have a wealth of commercial data. And I think there's so much to be done to start combining those in really interesting ways. Um, to make experiences better for consumers, but also to make it a sharper business outcome. How are you thinking about the uh, end of the cookie coming up? There's a lot of conversation around regulation and data and privacy. Are all of these factors that you're now having to take into account into your data planning as well? Yeah, absolutely. And and look, it, it really does take a, a full team to think about it. Uh, we work really closely now with our legal team to try to understand um, both what's permissible. And look, again, I think we always fall back on the common sense of we want to use consumers' data responsibly. Like nobody wants to be that company that's using it in creepy ways. So uh, we start there and then work extensively with legal teams, with our technology partners to try to get our hands around. Uh, how can we get a meaningful amount of data that can help us operate in a cookie-less world? How are you, um, do you have any specific examples of how you've been able to use the data that you have to improve your products and services? Yeah. Um, I mean, right now we're using a lot of the data that we uh, collect to really try to improve digital experiences. So as an example, if you go onto one of our sites, uh, we've done a lot of work on the last over the last year to try to say, how do we make that experience for you as a consumer better? So if you've given us signals as you've been on our site that you really love scotch, um, we can start to talk to you about the different types of scotch. We can talk about flavor profiles and help you, even if you're not like deeply into the world of scotch. Um, we have a partnership where we can talk about what is your flavor profile? and make it in, I think, really consumer easy terms to help you sort through what might you like. And as you uh, go through that journey, we are, you know, just watching to try to make things uh, you know, a, a better experience for you and serve you up products, messages, ideas, inspiration, whatever it may be, um, that are more targeted to you. Because the better experience, obviously, uh, you know, is better for a consumer, but also better for us. And it also creates, I guess, a bit of a loop in terms of being able to personalize that experience. Exactly. And then they want to come back to you and buy more and it creates a loyalty loop. Exactly. Yeah. You've been working in the, the value-added brand experience space with consumers in all sorts of ways. So in-person experiences, like you mentioned, personalization, digital gifting, gamification. What have been some of the light bulb moments from that work in the digital channels innovation space? I think it is grounded. We are grounded in 
first understanding what our role is in all of those things. And what's what's wonderful is the category we work in, the brands that we have. We believe our role is to help people have better celebrations, which is a really rich territory to start with. Um, after that, I think it's continually reminding ourselves to be grounded in what the consumer is wanting to experience and to react to that, to understand that, to start to customize things. I think when you start to concentrate on the technology or the platform, um, it takes you away from that, that centricity of the consumer, and, and leads you to maybe going after shiny objects. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it might give you a little bit of a bump, but after a while, it, it's not sustainable. So all of this is really still based on true human insights about yes. what draws people to your brands and how you play that out across all of the channels yeah. is you know, channel specific, but also it really comes back to that core, doesn't it? Yes. And what we've seen is people want celebrations that are memorable, um, which tends to make them shareable. Um, they want celebrations that are personal and that are, you know, easy. Um, maybe not, they, they don't want stuff that's basic, but they want something that, you know, they can pull off and feel great about. And we have such a great portfolio of brands really across any single category you could imagine. Um, and I think such strong brands that we can play a role in inspiring and guiding and really helping people to achieve that. We're hearing a lot about opportunities in retail media and also in artificial intelligence right now, two really big buzz areas in the marketing industry. What have been your experiences with those at Diageo? And are there any big opportunities that you're thinking about right now? Yeah, I, I guess I'll start with the buzziest. <laughs> I'll start with AI. Um, I think we have been using AI for a couple years. Um, and the use of it has been mostly centered around where people can't scale certain things. I, I would describe it as taking the heavy lifting off people. Um, so as an example, we uh, helped co-create a programmatic bidder that uses AI. It can bid faster than people can, um, and it can do a better job. So we can now take people who were spending a ton of time just bidding and have them think about what's the, the buying strategy? Uh, how do we get smarter about how we connect that to what our brands are trying to do? And, and save people the um, administrative time and, and actually use people for what they're best at, which is coming up with great ideas. Um, you know, I can, I can name a couple other things where uh, we've tried to use AI to really scan across, for example, our content. Um, we know that content works better if it is the right format for whatever platform we're talking about. Something as simple as the right size, the right length. Um, you'd be surprised how it's hard to actually get that right every time. But you can use AI to scan through the content and see like, oh, this one's a half a second too long. There will be a knock-on effect of that half second of it won't get as much reach, it won't be as cost-effective, um, and you can use AI to flag those things for you and have, you know, our creative agencies and our partners fix them before they go live. And that's something that, again, as much as you can publicize, here are the standards, here's what you should be doing, it's really hard to scale and get it right every time if you don't use AI. Yeah, a lot of the conversation is, I guess, around generative AI. Yes. But it sounds as though you're a very tech-driven company and you've been betting in AI for several years now. Yes, and 
And look, I think generative AI is one of those areas that people are going to have to work their way through. Um, I think there is just acres and acres and acres of opportunity in, like I said, using the robots, quote unquote, to take over the heavy lifting um, and, and free up people to really think and ideate and, uh, you know, think of better ways to experience our brands. And there's issues, you know, the regulators are coming. That's what mm. we're seeing now at the moment around copyright and around all those types of issues. How are you thinking about how you're planning for generative AI moving forward? Are you waiting to, are you taking a wait and see approach when you see what the regulations might be? Or are you already thinking about how you might embed it within your brands? Yeah, I, I think just like um, under responsible marketing that we do, I, I, I wouldn't say Diageo ever just waits and sees. Yeah. I, I feel like, and I'm, I'm very proud to work for a company that leads in these areas. And obviously it is complex. There are IP issues. Um, which we're very cognizant of. And so I, I think, again, what's been great to work for a company like Diageo is, is we really come back to our sort of root standards and we operate from there. And there's a lot to think through in AI, but that's where we'll always start from. Yeah, let's chat a little bit about e-commerce because direct-to-consumer channels boomed during the pandemic. As you said, people were at home, maybe they wanted to make a cocktail for themselves. Uh, they weren't able to access those on-trade channels that are so important to your brands. How do you see D2C playing within your business today now that normal patterns have returned somewhat? Yeah, what we're seeing is, yes, normal patterns have returned somewhat. But I think what it also speaks to is consumers don't want either or. They don't want one and the other in a binary way. They like the fact that sometimes, you know, I can shop online. Sometimes I go in the store. Sometimes I research first. Sometimes... I research by talking to friends. It's, it's a much more fluid sort of journey than I think um, the talk of, well, you know, this is dead and this is booming would, would suggest. So what we've tried to do is just really understand what is D2C's role in our business. And I think if you think about it in how consumers are using all the tools at their disposal, um, Yes, sometimes we will sell things directly where it's permissible for us. But a lot of it is about how we engage with people and how we, again, learn about them to make the experience better, how we uh, use our D2C platforms to collect data permissibly, and how we can offer people special experiences through that that maybe you can't get anywhere else. So several years ago, Diageo launched Marketing Catalyst, which I know has been a really important part of your marketing operations across your brands. Um, and that's a bespoke tool to advise marketers on effective spending. Um, how has Marketing Catalyst evolved in the last few years to stay relevant and helpful to you? One of the biggest ways that it's evolved is it's gone far, far deeper in media with a tool that is part of what I'd say the suite of Catalyst tools uh, that we call Sensor. Um, and it is modeling at the um, platform level, at the actual placement level. And what it's allowed us to do is both much more deeply understand how our media is working for us, um, but also allowed us to test things in a much more nimble way. So uh, I, I'd say the, the biggest fundamental change it's driven as we understand the media better is uh, as I mentioned before, Diageo has continuously upped our reinvestment rate year on year and year. 
And one of the concerns when you do that that's natural is, well, am I going to reach this point of diminishing returns? And is there a point where I'm investing too much behind the brand? What Sensor allowed us to understand, because it did give us a much more granular look, is the, the curve that we thought existed was the curve that existed because that's how we'd done media before. When we started to optimize more on the fly, we found that actually there was a whole other curve. And the ceiling wasn't at all what we thought it was. In fact, we haven't found the ceiling yet. So I think it gave us the confidence to continue to reinvest. Um, but also, you know, that, that bigger reinvestment rate comes with the responsibility of, okay, if we're going to get more money in marketing, we better do it right or as right as we possibly can. Um, so it gave us the confidence to invest in the first place, but I think then also the confidence that we would spend the money really wisely. Any other changes you're thinking about in the measurement space? Yeah, uh, because as you mentioned, we've had catalysts for quite a long time. Um, we're really thinking about how we take that wealth of it's almost 10 years of data to try to understand longer term things. I mean, uh, optimization maybe, you know, by definition becomes a bit of a short term, uh, you know, focus. So if we have 10 years of data, how do we understand the dynamics of long term versus short term? How do we understand the dynamics across different economic conditions? Um, you know, we've, we've had catalysts now through two big economic uh, disturbances, I guess is the <laughs> word. Um, Shocks, upheavals. Yeah. And, and, you know, how do we look back in, in order to understand how we look forward in a more meaningful way? Uh, what are some of the new marketing and media moves that you're making at the moment that you're especially excited about? I mean, I, I sound like a broken record. The thing I'm most excited about is how we apply data. Um, and I, I will say, I, I think Diageo has a fairly nuanced view of it. Um, we really do believe that what makes us successful is creativity when it's combined with precision. And so that becomes a really interesting space to work in because you you don't lose sight of, you know, it's not data for data's sake and a bunch of analysis that gets ever finer down a rabbit hole. It's how do you apply that to what is really brilliant creative, brand by brand by brand, and use all the tools that data brings you and all the technology that we have to make sure that that creative gets in front of more of the right people at the right time to be more relevant. So... Um, the promise of the data that we're collecting and how we're understanding consumers is we should be able to do that more often and at more scale. And I think that's what's exciting to us. So digital channels and media opportunities are changing in real time. Brands need to respond quickly. How are you building out your teams and capabilities? What type of skill sets are you thinking about right now? I think the, the biggest skill set that comes in handy here is, is curiosity. Because again, you can look at it quite uh, on the surface of what worked, what didn't work, what the data is telling you. I think the, where the best work comes is when you look at that and say, but why? What does it mean? And that both opens you up to new opportunities, but I think also lets you scale it beyond that one thing worked or didn't work. Um, and yeah, we're actively building uh, capability across the world to really try to make it what what can be uh, when you're talking about personalization and really uh, crafting and curating things, it can get small really easily. So the question in front of us and what we're actively doing right now is how do we build a team of people around the world 
And, you know, we have marketers who are just so deeply creative and thoughtful around the world. Um, but how do we give them the right capabilities, the right tools, the right technology so that it can become much bigger than, than what it might be? We're hearing a lot about inflation and recession at the moment in Western markets and the US and Europe. Have you seen any changes in consumer buying behaviors across some of your brands or any specific examples you can give? Yeah. I mean, our, our strategy is premiumization. And what we're finding, um, the consumer trend that that lends to is, is really that people want to drink better, probably less, but better. And um, I think what we're seeing is that still is remaining true and solid. Some brands and categories are obviously going to be more impacted than others by an inflationary environment in particular. Does that change your decision-making calculus in terms of your marketing strategy or which media choices you're making? Um, I don't know specifically about that. I mean, I, I think our reaction is more to what people are talking about, what they're interested in, how they're celebrating. I mean, as I mentioned before, the, the trend towards at home has stayed uh, post-COVID. And so it's, it's more of a reacting to how people are engaging with our products than necessarily a bigger economic story. What excites you the most about how your category is changing and those new opportunities? I, I think it's the choice. I mean, that, that idea of people want to drink better um, is, is really interesting, but also I think people want to drink differently. So we have low and no alcohol products. We really. I mean, have this portfolio, it, it, it's such a gift to work on it because however you want to celebrate, we, we have something great for you to offer. Um, so I, to me, it's like the, the wealth of choice that out, that's out there. And to see how consumers take that on and really make celebrations their own, uh, is, it's an exciting time. Those non-alcoholic beverages and the, I guess, the alcoholic beverages category is a really interesting area of white space innovation that we've seen over the last couple of years. Does how you approach marketing those types of products differ to how you would market an alcoholic product specifically? I don't know in the, in the specifics. It's more making people aware. Um, I mean, it, it is still a fairly new category, and there's still a lot of road to just make people aware that that choice is there um, and that we have really great products in that space. So for now, it's, it's an awareness game more than anything else. So it's about building that brand equity behind these products and their understanding exactly. in the market. Exactly. Where do you see the growth potential for your portfolio of brands going forward? And how does marketing and media play a role in making that happen for you? Yeah, I think we see premiumization continuing. Um, we have an incredibly strong reserve, you know, luxury portfolio. Um, and I think what's interesting through the years is those those trends are, are quite stable, but the particulars within them change. And so the way people engage with luxury now is different than it was 10 years ago, and it'll be different 10 years from now. And so I, I think part of it is understanding what are really uh, continual trends that are just people, how people want to live their lives. You want to give yourself a little treat. You want to give yourself that little bit of luxury. Um, we have that for you. Now, how you engage with that and, and what context that comes through can be different. And that's what we would change and pivot towards. So my last question for you is a bit of a philosophical one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
what do you see as the biggest opportunity and the biggest challenge facing marketers right now? I think it is uh, the same answer for both things. I think the biggest opportunity is that ability to be able to gather data and understand consumers at a much deeper level than we have ever before. I think that's also the biggest challenge because there are days where, man, the data's coming at you like it's out of a fire hose. And um, it, it truly is not about just collecting the data. It's about really thinking through it and thinking about what it all means. That is a real pivot. I mean, I started, I certainly wasn't trained in data or analytics or any of that. Um, we work with some great partners. We are trying to build that capability. But it's like, it's, it's both the blessing and the curse of we now have this wealth of consumer data. How do you turn that into understanding is, I think, the, the fundamental question in front of us. And that's also one of the most exciting opportunities for oh, an insight-driven brand. Absolutely. Well, that sounds like a fantastic place to leave it. Thank you, Susan, so much for joining us on The Walk Podcast. Thank you. That was Susan Jones from Diageo. Thank you so much for tuning into this interview mini-series. For more exclusive insights from CMOs, check out more of our interviews on walk.com. Have a great day. Thank you.